Welcome, welcome, ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages to episode 166 of A Play on Nerds. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman. And this is a very special episode because, as always, it is the triumphant return of one of our absolute classics, Copycat Cinema. Yeah. Jarman, what two copycat films are we talking about today? We are talking about the wonderful films Real Genius and Weird Science that came out in the same wonderful year of 1985, I believe. And boy, are they each just a slice, a delicious slice of that year. Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, but before we get into the meat of that, Jarman, what have you been up to since last time we talked? Uh, well, not too much, but uh, I got the opportunity to go down to um, Treasure Island, Florida, which is nearby um, St. Petersburg, Florida. It's kind of a beachy town, um, but basically it was my fiance's dad's birthday. He just turned 75. And he has a been a blues performer his whole life. Uh, he was a musician since going back to the, the late 60s. He went. To, he was actually present at uh, Woodstock back in the day. Um, he's a true Whoa. and true blues and music fan. And he was performing parts part of a band for his birthday. So there's a bunch of older guys playing blues and, and kind of rock guitar. Um, and we got to watch him at this, this restaurant and bar right there near the right next to the beach. It was really cool. And our old uh, friend of the show, Patrick. Uh, got to go with us with his full family, came along because he's in town nearby here. So we went, took the two-hour drive down to Treasure Island, Florida, and watched him perform. It was a lot of fun. And uh, other than that, just uh, working on a lot of wedding preparations coming up in July of this year. And uh, I also got an uptick with jobs for this place called Homes.com, uh, which is the uh, same company that owns Apartments.com, which the great Jeff Goldblum does uh, the commercials for. Um, they are paying me to do thousands of voiceovers for their website coming up called homes.com, which does already exist, but now they're going to make it so you can go to any community that you're thinking of living in, click on that community, and then you'll hear, you'll watch a video about the things that are available in that community. And I, I'm going to narrate those videos along with other narrators. I remember when you were auditioning for this job. Oh yeah. A long time Didn't ago. You and coincidentally actually... read a description of a guy's hometown or something. Exactly. And it's it's weird because it's it's been a year in the making, and then they had to restructure the whole program, and now it's finally gotten off the ground, and it's just kind of it's going to be changing my financial landscape too because there's just so much work available, and it's um, shorter jobs for better pay. So instead of doing a long audio books that take a lot of time and effort that give me a decent pay, this will free up some of my schedule, and I can make more money worth not having to do so much hard work all all day every day. I can breathe a little bit clearer because I have a wedding coming up. So it's you great this popped in now. <laughs> you won't have to work that corner swipe quite so hard. <laughs> exactly. My butt can finally relax. <laughs> Jarman, don't turn on the red light. <laughs> but anyway, Steve, what have you been up to since our last recording? Uh, nothing, just a bunch of work. Uh, we are getting ready for a big trip. I just realized my kids might hear this. So we're going to Monterey. Mm-hmm. 
for a long weekend. It means Disney, if, no, folks. Nah. He can't say it, but I can. Shut. No, but they if they listen to this, the jig's up, you bastard. Will they listen to this? <laughs> yes, we occasionally listen to this. Oh, no. This will come out long after that trip's done. <sighs> it's okay. That's true. That's true. Because of where we're pushing this to, we'll be fine. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we. So by this time, I think we're we'll be back from Disney. Okay. By the there time you go. this airs. Yeah, uh, probably. Yeah, we'll be back by back from Disney by the time this airs. Uh, so we have kept it a complete secret from both of our children. Oh wow! Very successfully, and we've even prepped Joyce with this like narrative that we're going to go down to Monterey Bay Aquarium, which is already like a one and a half two hour drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of the terrible storms, the roads are all messed up. And so it's going to take even longer to get there. And we're going to have to go kind of like a weird way. <laughs> um, so I really think we can keep her off our trail until we get to the stretch of highway called the Grapevine. And that's where the Disney billboards start up. And that's what I think the jig is going to be up. <laughs> there, there are going to be so many Disney billboards that it'll be inevitable. She'll figure it out. This reminds me so much of the story from that Saturday Night Live sketch about uh, where he tells the kids they're going to Disney World. Oh, no, Disney World didn't burn down. He said, instead of taking my kids to Disney World, I drove them to an old burned down warehouse and told them, oh, no, Disney World burned down. <laughs> um, so we're so we're, we're hoping we can keep it a secret and keep it safe. Uh, we're trying our best. So we're re- we're getting close. Nice. Uh, and otherwise, I wrote off uh, in my Star Wars 5e campaign, I just I wrote off my character <laughs> on purpose and started a new one. Yeah, because originally this campaign was pitched to us as like a short, I think he said like 10 session thing. And now it has turned into a bigger thing, both between how this DM just really lets things drag kind of. Mm. So like our the the we went through the first um like dungeon, so to speak, seven sessions. Oh my god, for one dungeon, seven sessions. Yeah, dude. <laughs> What's it lot? was a little obscene. Um, and so this has clearly become more than a ten session thing. And I didn't design a character that I wanted to play for super long. Like I designed a Ewok monk. Who in a world where everyone has grenades and blasters, limit limited usefulness. <laughs> True. Um, and he was fun for a while, but I just got to the point where I'm like, I have no answer for like half the stuff in this game because it's Star Wars. He's good on Endor, but that's um, pretty much where it stops. <laughs> yeah, if I was on Endor, it might be all right, but we're not. We're not on Endor. Uh, and on top of that, he, our DM, like for him the enjoyment comes from really making these like difficult encounters and like difficult fights and really stringing us out. Like that's where he finds joy. <laughs> um, and there's a place for that. And I like a good tactical fight. And I'm like, he takes it to an extreme. So I made just the support character of all support characters. I made a doctor and I gave him every like, healing free cheesy healing ability that you can imagine i picked like tech abilities for him that are just going to either burn my dm's action economy or prevent him from doing as much damage like my whole kit is is built around like slowing my dm down (laughs) you're fighting back (laughs) Um, and and keeping my teammates on their feet yes 
Um, so I got rid of the Ewok. I sent him to college. That was literally the story I came up with. <laughs> and they got to meet a new friend who they like almost as much. There you go. What's the, what's the race of the doctor? Uh, he is a Bith, which are mostly known in Java's palace. Those weird guys look like they have like ears for faces. <laughs> I don't like, know if I remember that. They're, they're playing a horn. He's playing like an oboe. Oh, yeah. Huge black eyes and a bulbous head. Yeah, that's the... That's the clue horn, and that's the bith. I'm sure he's got high charisma <laughs> looking like that. Uh, no, I mean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> actually, no. Uh, big surprise. He's a, he's a big whiz. He's an int character, actually, because he's a physician. Which of course. Is the, the SW5E version is like a wizard, kind of. Right. There'll be no uh, horn playing And instead him. of spells, I pick, like, maneuvers. Mm. But they're spells. Like uh, they're spells. Um, but yeah, so I made like the ultimate healer that I'm sure my DM is going to immediately identify and try to punish me for. So I'm very excited. <laughs> That's fun. Well, very nice. Um, yeah. That takes us to some nerdy news. It sure as hell does. It's time for nerdy news. All right, so we might be a little late by the time you guys hear this episode, but we have had an announcement from uh, James Gunn and Peter Saffron, the new co-CEOs of Disney or DC Studios, excuse me, not Disney. Um, it's for their new slate of film and television to come out in the next pretty much five, ten years. And uh, we'll see how much of this changes over the next five, ten years, because I bet a lot of it kind of moves around. It's kind of fluid. So for movies, we have Superman Legacy. For July 11th, 2025, that's probably the only one that has a hard date set to it, uh, written by James Gunn. And apparently will follow Kal-El as he re uh, reconciles his extraterrestrial origins with his human family and upbringing. So they say it won't tell the origin story of Superman, but kind of him just reconciling with that. Um, and it will be a very young Superman is what we were told by James Gunn. And then we have The Authority. Uh, this is a superhero ensemble that dates to a 1999 comic book series published under DC's Wildstorm imprint. And The Authority is a group of seven heroes with very high-concept superpowers. Like one guy named Jack Hawksmoor is physically bonded to cities, drawing his strength from them, which is strange. Uh, and James Gunn says, Not every film and TV show is going to be about good guys versus bad guys. Giant things from the sky come and good guy wins. Uh, there are white hats, black hats, and gray hats. And I just thought that this sounds a lot like Suicide Squad. And like him just trying to do this again with just like more, are they good, are they bad? I don't know if we need this. This is strange. Um, then we have the Brave and the Bold. Uh, this is the introduction of the DCU Batman, says Gunn, of Bruce Wayne, and also introduces our favorite Robin, Damian Wayne, who is a little son of a bitch, James Gunn says. Uh, the little the movie will take inspiration from the now classic Batman run written by Grant Morrison that introduced Batman to a son he never knew existed, a murderous tween raised by assassins. And he says it's a very strange father and son story. That's just interesting. So they'll probably recast mm. Batman and Damian Wayne. But there is a possibility of, of uh, Ben Affleck apparently coming to be that Batman. They haven't ruled that out yet, apparently. Um Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, 
Uh, James Gunn says, We will see the difference between Superman, who was sent to Earth and raised by loving parents from the time he was an infant, versus Supergirl, who was raised on a rock, a chip off of Krypton, and who watched everyone around her die and be killed in terrible ways for the first 14 years of her life and then come to Earth. She is much more hardcore and not the Supergirl we're used to. Sounds like more, uh, you know, intense, dark. Um, Swamp Thing is the last one they mentioned of the movies. DC Studios lineup announcement says only this movie will investigate the dark origins of Swamp Thing. So another dark movie. So we have he does guarantee that at least Superman legacy will be light and he'll be like a bright shining hope of Superman like we've been wanting for a long time. But the authority, Brave and the Bold, Supergirl and Swamp Thing all sound like dark you know, could have been Zack Snyder movies. So I'm hoping it's not the case because that's what made them fail in the first place. I don't know. Television, uh, we have Creature Commandos. This is a seven-episode animated series written by Gunn that is already in production. And originally, it's a team of classic monsters assembled to fight Nazis when it was in the comics. Uh, This is a modern take on that concept, and the voice actors have yet to be cast, but the executives are looking to find people who can voice the animated characters and also portray them as the live-action versions when the anti-heroes show up in the movies and the TV series. So they'll have them be animated, but then the same actors will play them in the live action. So, but in the comics, it okay, was okay. literally like Frankenstein, like the werewolf. Like it was all these things like why? I don't know what this is about. And then we have Waller, which is a, another kind of leftover thing from the old universe. Uh, the spinoff of Gunn's own HBO Max series, Peacemaker, uh, with Vi- and Viola Davis will come back as Waller in this series. Um, and I don't know how it's going to fit in with the new stuff, but it's apparently still going forward. And Booster Gold um, is a DC Comics longtime comic relief character who's a time traveler who uses basic technology and consumer appliances from the future to make himself a superhero in the present day. And I've heard a little bit about him (laughs) being a pretty funny character. Um, It's basically about a loser from the future who uses basic future technology to come back to today and pretend to be a superhero, as Gunn describes it. Um, It's imposter syndrome as a superhero. And I think if I'm not incorrect about this, it's like a gay character as well, which is kind of neat for them. Um, one that I think could be kind of cool is Lanterns. Uh, this is our vision for this. Gunn says is very much in the vein of True Detective. Oh, Saffron described that. Uh, it's terrestrial based. It will feature prominent Lantern heroes Hal Jordan and John Stewart, and it's one of the most important shows they have in development. They, you know, Saffron says this plays a really big role in leading into the main story we are telling across film and television. So another dark show, if it's in the style of True Detective, more darkness. Um, and then we have Paradise Lost as the last one. Um, both of them have described this as uh, a series that's kind of like an HBO-style, Game of Thrones-style drama set on the all-female island that is Wonder Woman's birthplace, Themyscira, uh, filled with political intrigue and scheming between power players. And it takes place before the events of the Wonder Woman films. So kind of like before Wonder Woman's born, or maybe she's a little girl. I don't know, but that's what that last year. So what's your kind of thoughts I mean, on these shows and movies, Steve? <laughs> so it sounds like James Gunn has identified a weakness of the MCU, and that is that Disney is unable or unwilling to go darker for right. the most part. And so he is going to take that and exploit it because he can't he can't beat the mcu at their game so he has to play a different game which is smart yeah that's fair 
Um, so I think that is why we're seeing so many of these, what appear to be darkly inclined titles because he knows he has to play a different game. I do like that because it is James Gunn and he can't help but introduce comedy into things. So I think that even though they're dark concepts, there'll be comedy in them to lighten them up and he's a good writer. And so it won't be like Zack Snyder, like intensely dark, everything's slow motion, you can't see anything on the screen. All the colors are muted. I don't think he'll do that. He'll like it like dark subject matter, but still enjoyable to watch. I'm hoping that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I don't know. Possibly. Possibly. Um, but some of that sounds interesting and I'm glad they're keeping Waller. Like if there's one body to pull out of the burning wreckage, that's the DCU. <laughs> it's Amanda Waller. I mean, Viola Davis is amazing. She, yeah, she's a badass in that role. She's amazing. The role has been steadfast, even in like the Suicide Squad. It was like the one decent thing. I didn't see Peacemaker yet. Did you watch that? Uh, I have watched it. Worth Very it? Very silly. Very silly? <laughs> yes. Okay. That's good. I saw Very him in, silly. I did like, watch the Suicide Squad, so I saw him in that one, and he was funny in that. Um. Yeah, you, you can't take it too seriously. And as long as you don't take it too seriously, you'll really enjoy it. Oh, good. <laughs> well, I guess that takes us on to our main segment, Copycat Cinema. That's right. With real genius and weird science. Now it's all changed. I'm falling, falling. From my heart and from my hand, why don't people understand my Let me break down real genius for you. All right. Tell me what happened. All right. So this, this kid, Mitch, he's a teenage prodigy. He gets recruited by Dr. Hathaway and gets to go to the prestigious Pacific tech. There he meets his roommate, another prodigy, the famous Chris Knight, who is super smart, but really can't take anything seriously. He's like too smart for his own good. Val Kilmer, everybody. Uh, Val Kilmer. Mitch was brought in to help Hathaway with this laser project. Deadlines are looming. Mitch makes a few enemies because he's the new youngest, smartest kid. Um, and he tries to study, but Chris just always finds a way to like fill the dorm with ice and snow and distract him <laughs> or take him to a party. Mitch meets a girl who is way older than him and wildly inappropriate. Um, <laughs> we then get a montage in which Mitch is like getting used to the rigors of academia and the project progressives. And there's a guy living in his closet, like literally a man living in his closet. He disappears in the closet. Um, yeah, he actually goes and investigates and finds a secret door and finds this guy like down below, b below an elevator and a little like mine shaft filling out cards. <laughs> um, Hathaway is under pressure from the government. He threatens Chris saying he's not going to let him graduate unless he gets five megawatts out of this laser by mid-May. Mitch is burnout. Chris tries to show him how to lighten up uh, and he redirects the laser and leads everyone to a South Pacific themed party with girls in bikinis. <laughs> uh, one of the jerk students, Kent, tries to rat him out. Uh, Mitch and the much older woman hang out at the party. It's still wildly inappropriate. <laughs> Uh, Mitch gets balled out. He wants to go home. Kent embarrasses him as just a real dick. Um, and Chris is basically like, look, you can't be like Holly Feld. He burned out at 12. He was never right again. 
and we can we can do this. And Mitch decides to stay. Um, they get back at Kent, the jerk guy, by making him think he's hearing the voice of God who shames him for masturbating. It was complicated. <laughs> it was complicated. Um, Hathaway tosses Chris out of the project. Mitch and Chris decide to like get the laser working, even though Hathaway doesn't approve. We get another montage in which Chris is actually applying himself and furthering the project, studying hard and headed towards final exam, but the laser still isn't working. Um, they finally meet the man in the closet um, who reveals that he's entering the Frito Lay sweepstakes and expects to win 33% of all the prizes, which I thought was weird. Um, <laughs> Mitch goes to his room. There's an older woman there who attempts to rape him. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, but it's true. <laughs> like, as I was watching it, I was like, there's no good way to dress this up. An older woman attempts to rape him. It's not explained either. Mitch, <laughs> yeah, not explained. And then, like a scene later, Mitch presumably has fought his way free of this woman. And instead of calling the police, goes to Morgan's room, another adult woman. She then engages in inappropriate acts with the minor, and presumably he is then raped by her. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. Like, like, oh, my God. I wish I could dress this up different, but it is so messed up. At least she's college age, though. Um, they're, like, they're both in college with so that girl. Yeah, but he's like 15 and she's 19. Oh, yeah. He's in college too early. I forgot about that. <laughs> it's screwed up. It is he screwed is up. raped. Yes. Like, that's, <laughs> that's statutory rape. It uh, is. Chris takes the final exam. The laser's ready for a big test, but dickhole Kent sabotages it. The rig blows up. Chris has a eureka moment that if he freezes the sample, the laser will work because of science reasons. <laughs> the laser works. Everyone celebrates. Hollyfeld shows up and explains that they've been working on a weapon this whole time. Chris races back, but everything's been taken from the lab. The group then conspires to perform some, some, just some treason. It's just a little bit of treason uh, to go and sabotage the laser. They change its uh, its targeting and then they go to to Hathaway's place and do something like you're not really supposed to know. So then it's the test of the laser. It fires, but it doesn't go where it's supposed to. It hits Hathaway's place, which they filled with popcorn and he hates popcorn and his like house explodes with popcorn. Um. <laughs> Children play in the popcorn. Halliday finds his house destroyed. His contract with the military is presumably canceled, canceled, and everyone lives happily ever after. <laughs> it's true. Mitch was raped. That's that. <laughs> I will comment. I there's a few things about this movie. I just happen to notice, like before we get into stuff about the next movie. Yeah, um, please. Just I was confused at first about they show a classroom. And a couple kids have a boombox next to them. And I'm like, oh, boomboxes, that's cool. And there's the next day they come back, there's less children in the room and more boomboxes on the table. Like, what's going on? And I'm realizing that it's kids recording the lecture that the professor's giving on their boombox to listen to the tapes later so they can hear the lecture. I'm like, oh my God, that's such a weird little time capsule moment that like they had to record with a giant boombox because they didn't have like phones to record or like a small tape recorder or something. It was just it was a very interesting moment. Uh, well, not only that, then I, I love the progression of that. Um, I, it's in my notes where 
he goes and there's like one kid leaves a boom box and then it's later in the semester and he goes and he's like one of three kids and there's a bunch of boom boxes yeah. and finally he goes and then the professor has set up a reel to reel which he plays yeah. and then they're their boom boxes are recording a recording of the professor. <laughs> that was very meta that moment. Was such a, a brilliant, brilliant progression. <laughs> that was really funny. And I like how Val Kilmer is basically like the Van Wilder of this generation, of that generation, because he's like equal parts charming and annoying at the same time. Like he's basically like the Van Wilder of that of the eighty five. <laughs> Absolutely. And there were so many montages, like you said, that was really amazing. Um. And, and like, I love there must be something cut from the film because that woman who basically is like going to rape him. The older woman who's in his room is not explained. Doesn't really make a lot of sense. <laughs> oh, she is. She is explained. Uh, it's earlier. Val Kilmer, because you might not recognize her or right at the beginning. Val Kilmer's character goes to an interview, which he like bombs on purpose. And the secretary, I think it was the secretary. because She met all the geniuses of, of the world the or something like that. She wants to sleep with all the smartest men in the world. That's right. And he's like something for her to collect. And she's there to collect slash rape Mitch. A 15 year old. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, but yeah, that's just a couple things I want to mention before we move on. Some notes I had taken while watching this film and we'll get into more later. But uh, but yeah, that's real genius. So what happened in weird science? So weird science. Uh, we meet these high school social outcasts and nerds, Gary and Wyatt, as they're being pantsed. By two bullies, uh, they get humiliated in front of their cheerleader crushes that are in front of them. So they go home and out of wanting to boost their confidence, wanting to be more popular and wanting to be able to figure out women. And they're inspired by watching Frankenstein on TV. Gary convinces the nerdier Wyatt to somehow make a virtual woman and infuse her with everything they want in a woman. And to make the science complete, they scan photos into a computer um, wait to of things they want, like rock stars, pay, playboy pinups, and for some reason, Albert Einstein. So they want a smart, attractive woman. I, I respected that at least. And they also hook up electrodes to a Barbie doll and put bras in their head. And they also light candles in a ceremonial way. So there's kind of a magic element to this, not just science, but also magic mixed in with science. But to Absolutely. power, yeah, but to power everything up, they're going to need more power than their house can supply. So they hack the nearby power plant. And this causes weird lights in the sky and lightning strikes. And then, boom, Kelly LeBrock, the model, comes out of their bathroom looking like a sex bomb. And she apparently has unlimited magical power. She's basically a sex genie, basically. Um, for yes, some, that's not wrong. Yeah, it's not wrong. Uh, for some strange reason, instead of immediately having sex with her and them, uh, which is, you know, the male fantasy here going on, she takes them to a jazz and blues dive bar, <laughs> which I don't really understand. Um Gary gets super drunk. Uh, he's like the weird, crazy one. And they, they drive home eventually in her magical pink Cadillac that she created. Uh, and when they get home, they run into Bill Paxton, who's Wyatt's older brother, Chet, uh, who threatens Wyatt that he'll tell his parents that he came, they came back so late unless he gives him a bunch of money. And for some reason, the boys pay him instead of using their magical genie against him at this point. I don't know why. Um, and for some reason, they then go to the mall but they separate from Lisa, who's what she's calling herself, Lisa. And uh, but the same bullies from before that pants them now pour ices on their head. And Lisa's nowhere to be found during that time. But later she gives flirty eyes to the bullies and tells them that there there will be a party at Wyatt's house and they should come. And they're mesmerized by her. So they say they'll come. And she drives away with Wyatt and Gary and another imaginary Porsche that she's created. Uh, she's Lisa that insisted them. The boys need a party to loosen up because they're too uptight. 
And for some reason, she then goes to meet Gary's parents, um, and they don't take to her very well, so she threatens them with a gun and then tries to wipe their memory of her, but accidentally makes Gary's dad forget about him entirely. <laughs> so just he doesn't know why he's a son anymore. <laughs> it's our son. It's Gary. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so we're back now at Wyatt's house, and his parents are out of town, and his brother isn't there, so they throw a party. And tons of people show up, and this makes Gary and Wyatt very nervous, so they hide in the bathroom, and Lisa is ignoring them and partying with everyone else. She's a terrible sex genie slave. Um, the girls they originally got embarrassed in front of, that they had crushes on, show up in their bathroom, and they have an awkward interaction with Gary and Wyatt. But then the girls' boyfriends show up, and they are the same bullies that have been plaguing Gary and Wyatt for this whole movie. And one of them is Robert Downey Jr., by the way, which is kind of cool. Uh the bullies convince Gary and Wyatt to not be selfish and to make them a magic genie girlfriend as well. So, but the second time around, they go up to the bedroom, try this again, but they forgot to hook up the Barbie doll. So instead, the, the electrodes were sitting on a Time magazine with a nuclear warhead on the cover. Uh, Lisa shows up just as they activate it to scold them for misusing their magic science to impress their bullies. But then a missile appears from that Time magazine and slowly bursts up through their house all the way to the second floor. And then Wyatt's grandparents show up at the party and uh, Lisa paralyzes them and puts them in a cupboard. Uh, Lisa comes up with an idea to boost the confidence of Gary and Wyatt in a way to make them look good in front of their friends. She creates a mutant cyborg biker gang that crashes the party by driving like motorcycles into their house. Uh, the bikers take the crushed upon cheerleaders that they, they loved before and hostage. So Gary and Wyatt finally stand up for themselves and for the cheerleaders. And with a, with the fake gun that she used before the bikers drive off, causing the cheerleaders to immediately fall in love with them. And so they, they sleep with them in the same room, apparently. And the next morning, Bill Paxton comes back, brother Chet. Um, and he's about to go crazy with how bad the house looks is threatening to bribe uh, Wyatt again. But Lisa sends the boys off, finally helping them. Um, with the girls and she wants to talk to Chet alone and she transforms him into a monster telling him it will wear off but he needs to be nicer to his brother meanwhile the boys drive the girls home and they agree to start dating hooray the boys return home and Lisa says her purpose is now complete and she dematerializes and their home magically returns to normal right before Wyatt's parents come home and everything's happy but for some reason at the very end it's established that Lisa is now the gym teacher at their school which is great for them so it's all just yeah she's still around yeah she's still there for some reason cool yeah <laughs> so why is a uh, real genius so much better than uh all right so i'm gonna tell you three reasons why real genius is just a better film okay you ready ready real genius had a great supporting cast oh you got ed louder he's a great working actor he was one of the military men but he's been like a jerk in everything uh, William Atherton played Hathaway, another great character actor who's been working for many, many years. He's been in many things. He often plays like the bad guy or uh, the bureaucrat kind of role. Yeah, if you're around our age, uh, you'll recognize Grease, him from so many things. William Atherton, for sure. Uh, John Grease is another huge, longtime working character actor. He played Hollyheld. Uh, and he is currently seeing a renaissance because he's on the wildly popular White Lotus. Ah, yes. Yes. Um, but he's been around and been acting nonstop for years, for decades. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's in this movie. And then, of course, you get Val Kilmer in the lead. And you can't go wrong with Val Kilmer in the lead. That's right. <laughs> I mean, so, terrible. So terrible. What, what's one 
what's the reason you think that weird science is better? <laughs> uh, same kind of thing. The cast of characters and the acting from this cast is so much better than the lead cast of Real Genius, like the main characters. I mean, we've got Anthony Michael Hall as one of the, as Gary. We have Bill Paxton as Chet. He's a national treasure that unfortunately passed away. Robert Downey Jr. is one of the bullies, one of his earliest roles ever. Kelly LeBrock, being a model, was a great actress in this movie. She just knocked it out of the park. And that she had added nuance to this movie that didn't deserve. I think she did a great job in that part. So I think there's just a great cast of likable, funny, good actors in this film that were not in so much of the main cast of Real Genius. You had you had a good point about the supporting right. cast, but the main cast was kind of lacking, I thought, in Real Genius, besides Val Kilmer. All right, you win, you, win, you win this round. <laughs> All right, well, Real Genius has not one, but two very well-done montages. <laughs> and there's what's more 80s Mitch than getting that? into academia montage, and then there's the Chris's buckling down montage, <laughs> and both of which are superb. And I'm not kidding, because they were clearly planned as montages, as opposed to a lot of times I feel like montages are like, oh, shit, we have to cut 20 minutes of the film. Mm. We'll just do a montage. Of stuff we filmed um, on purpose. So I just yeah. I, I thought this was a yeah, this was a time where like two montages were clearly written into the script. They were done well. They knew what they were supposed to show. There was upbeat music. They weren't too long. I say two successful montages. That's a good point. That's a good point. It's very eighties. It's pretty wonderful. Very eighties. And you could tell, like you said, that they were filmed as a montage. You can see Val Kilmer making up dialogue. He's not really saying anything. It's just kind of in the background talking. Oh, there is one scene <laughs> in there though where Mitch comes into a classroom and kind of like heatedly addresses Chris. It there is it is clearly a scene they filmed. Oh. <laughs> it's the one time in it where it was clearly a scene they filmed and there just nothing happened, so they just put it in the montage. <laughs> That's funny. Well, my second point, uh, not a direct counter to that because it's different, but uh, Weird Science is an iconic theme song performed by Oingo Boingo and sung by, Oingo front, Boingo. by frontman and legendary orchestral soundtrack producer Danny Elfman is the voice of that song. <laughs> and it's That's just right. Um, he legendarily makes every soundtrack sound exactly the same. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> but either way, this song is iconic. It'll get stuck in your head. Weird science. It's it's a fantastic song. It just that song by itself. And, and I actually watched the um the Weird Science TV show growing up. On it was on TNT, I believe. I'd watch that it was thing on USA. Oh, USA. It was That's on what it USA was. late night and after or before it was Duckman. Mm hmm. I love Duckman. Oh, man. And the critic, I think, was also on there, too. Maybe that's Comedy Maybe Central. Maybe in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. But I watched all those shows. <laughs> I don't think either of us won that one, but I think those are both good points. All right. So my third point of why Real Genius is better is that there was some honest-to-God, well-written, tight, comedic writing in real genius to the point where it caught me off guard how well written some of it was mm. and perfectly sold and delivered by Val Kilmer. Perfectly sold and delivered by Val Kilmer, 
his 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 comedic timing in this was simply impeccable and it's hard to remember that this comes from a time before he was a serious actor or at least before he was you know doing serious films because he was he went to Juilliard he was roommates with um Kevin Spacey in Juilliard like he was I don't care no i'm saying he was always at a serious this point, actor like he had done this and top secret oh yeah with his other film like a silly spy movie but like I think he would he remind um, me of this movie so much of was Groucho Marx. His timing was very Groucho Marx and I loved it. It was just so So Groucho Marx. Um the his interview at the beginning where the guy's like, Why do you have that toy on, on your head? And he goes, Because if I put it anywhere else, it chafes. It was just like <laughs> so good it caught me off. It guard. was. It's very uh three stooges like that kind of thing. It was it was hilarious. Um so the my first two my first two were maybe weak points or maybe a little facetious on the the montage one, but I honestly believed the writing specifically in Real Genius is genuinely better than Weird Science. And which is weird because this is a Weird Science is a John Hughes film. Um but mm-hmm. I think I have yeah, I have I have trivia later that'll explain why this maybe is not the best written John Hughes film. And I think your point is well taken. <laughs> I think you do win that point. He was he was drunk for a lot of it. There's a reason why this movie is not one of the better written John Hughes films. John Hughes is well recognized as one of the best writers of the eighties, but this movie's not really one of them. Um but on that point, my third point would be Weird Science is a fun fantasy story with magic, a simple story with a happy ending. And real genius is just too complicated and has too big of stakes, too many characters and stories to follow. Uh, if you could just throw on weird science in the background at any point and you'll have fun no matter what scene it kind of falls on when you start watching it. It's just kind of a, a fun popcorn flick to just sit back and enjoy or just have in the background. Whereas real, real genius is a lot going on. That, that's my third point. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Who do you think you are? <laughs> you bastard. No, that's fair. You know, I, it, it all all joking and having to defend uh, Real Genius. It is a classic. It is. It even it feels way more 80s than Weird Science, despite the fact they came out the same year. Yeah. Like somehow Real Genius just feels so Very much more 80s. 80s. <laughs> um, but, you know, the production value on uh, Weird Science, uh, the storytelling, the, the character arcs with the boys even develop in like two phases, which is like advanced storytelling kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the bikers coming in out of friggin' Mad Max <laughs> was genius and such a great end, you know, like a great end point, like the focal point, the party. Um, yeah. I, you know, weird science is a classic. Some people don't even know real genius exists. So but the thing is after watching reason, both these there's films, there's a reason for that. I think real genius holds up better in this, especially in what's a PC and acceptable. I think real genius holds up better. Um, I think real genius is now that we're past the, the, the whole the backing up our films phase. I think real genius has more interesting, an interesting plot, more interesting things going on, more better stakes, to be honest. Um, so I think out of the two of these, I think I actually now with my modern view, I like real genius better because Weird science is kind of dated and it's kind of like in, in its views and it's cringy. Um, and I think real genius was kind of refreshing and interesting. I don't know. I'm kind of more in the real genius camp. <laughs> Fair. Um, but you got some trivia right, so for real genius. Bit, I got, I got a little bit of trivia here. Not a lot. I got a smidge, smidge of trivia. Um, so 
the, a lot of the popcorn in the final scene was real. Hmm. And even with a dedicated machine, it took crew members three months to pop all the popcorn. Oh, my God. Three months. Because it took so long, it had to be treated with a flame retardant sealant to keep it, like, not rotting after they popped it. And the crew spent a huge amount of time trying to stop birds from eating it during filming because they would die. Oh, no. (laughs) Right. Um, all of the laser tech was real hmm. and was don't not donated, but provided by uh, USC. Um, but after receiving a demo from this like professor at USC, the cinematographer basically lost all hope because the cameras couldn't really pick up the lasers. Oh, um, and so they had to like uh, lower the table and they had to put like a barrier around it so they could flood it with smoke. Ah. Basically, anytime you saw a laser, they had to go through special things so you could actually see that laser because it was a real laser. That's cool. Other, mind you, there are a few animated shots, but for the most part, it's real lasers. Um, uh, according to Tad Stones, who is the creator of Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, <laughs> Jordan, the girl, was the basis for the character Gadget Hackwrench. I could totally see Ranger. that. <laughs> yeah, but according to the creator, she was the inspiration. I literally just watched that at uh, uh, Patrick's house like a couple months ago. So that character totally seems like that hyperactive, like talking constantly. Yeah. Uh, and the story writer for this was a guy named Neil Israel, and he also wrote all of the Police Academy films. Oh, gosh. Look who's talking to. And then he became a director, directed episodes of The Wonder Years, Clueless, the TV series, Lizzie McGuire. And one of my all-time favorite movies, Surf Ninjas. <laughs> I remember that movie. <laughs> I wish it's one of those movies that like isn't available digitally anywhere. Mm. Like anywhere. I can't get Surf Ninjas anywhere. And I don't think it's I don't think it made it to Blu-ray. So it won't even be available in the high seas anywhere. Not not that I have found a good, like decent digital copy of. Oh, damn, that's surprising. Um, so yeah, same guy directed <laughs> surf ninjas, surf ninjas. <laughs> it's the last time Rob Schneider was funny and I will stand behind. That. Oh, that's fair. Uh, for trivia, for weird science, uh, according to Bill Paxton, Chet's line, how about a nice greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty ashtray was based on something his father, John Paxton used to say to him when Bill was hung over from a night of drinking. <laughs> Sorry. Basically, yeah, making his son feel guilty. Uh, During the bathroom scene, a Playboy magazine can be seen on the counter next to the toilet. It's the edition featuring Kelly LeBrock's editorial with photos on the cover. So there you go. Nice. John Hughes wrote the script in only two days. So we'll explain that a little bit later. Uh, Vernon Wells, who played Lord General or the lead biker. Uh, reprises nearly the same character he played in The Road Warrior in 1981, four years earlier. Uh-huh. So he was actually in Mad Max <laughs> as same yeah, character. Was, yeah. At, yeah, the Mohawk character on the bike. Yes. Yeah. He essentially wears the same makeup, oh, yeah. Mohawk, mesh tank top, and lots of studded leather. Uh, John Hughes wasn't happy during filming of this movie because it interfered with another project he cared about much more 
and resulted in his working a punishing schedule for months, but he agreed to direct it because Universal gave him a deal where he could also direct the more valued project he started this one, if he started this one first. The other film that they let him do if he screeched out this one real fast was The Breakfast Club. So you have this one. He's like, if you squeak out this weird movie called Weird Science real fast, we'll let you do The Breakfast Club. So that's what he really put his attention towards. It's kind of why this one's just, you know, iffy. And it shows. (laughs) Robert Russler uh, said the scene where the rocket came up from the floor uh, was a complicated shot to set up. I think that's the other bully guy. Uh, right before the cameras rolled, Anthony Michael Hall farted, breaking the cast member's concentration and ruining the take. So, Rustler estimates the scene costs $100,000 to shoot. Because the take was blown, it had to be filmed in reverse with additional tweaks in post-production. So, they couldn't reshoot it. But basically, Anthony Michael Hall farted and the cast members started laughing and stuff like that. But they're like, they had to salvage it somehow. So, they had to do it in reverse and like do some weird editing tricks to make it work. Which is funny. Um, the same moving shot of the exterior of the high school that they go to was used for the beginning of 16 Candles in 1984, as well as the end of this movie. The same people can be seen making the same movements in both movies. So it's the same exact shot, which is fun. Wow. In the John Hughes documentary, Don't You Forget About Me from 2009, Kelly, Re- Kelly LeBrock describes her character Lisa as Mary Poppins with breasts. <laughs> And Demi Moore and Robin Wright, formerly known as Robin Wright Penn, auditioned for the part of Lisa. So it could have been one of them. And lastly, like the Robin Lar- Wright would have been way too young, but maybe I'm crazy. Nah, she yeah, she would, wouldn't feel like an older woman figure, kind of like Kelly DeBrock did to them. Um, but yeah, right. Even Demi Moore would have been too young back then, I think. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. The large Chet puppet uh, was designed to be solely operated by Bill Paxton but he became too claustrophobic in the suit. So two little people, Kevin Thompson and Joe Gieb, were crammed inside and operated the creature in unison. <laughs> so it was just Bill Paxton. He's like, I can't do this, man. And so they put two little people in there who had to be crammed inside that giant wow. thing. So that was fun. There we go. And there's our, We I think we have a, a bit now from Steve. It's a secret. Yeah, man. Secrets. Well, uh, throughout Real Genius specifically, uh, you get to see Val Kilmer prank Kent kind of the dickhole. And it may be looking to some uh, some other great college pranks. <laughs> so I got a few of them here. Uh, it's the Rose Bowl, 1961. The Washington Huskies and the Minnesota Gophers are playing. Fans in the stands have had intricate cards placed on each of their seats with very specific instructions that when the cheerleaders give a signal, the fans would stand and flip over their cards, displaying an image for the whole arena to see. The signal from the cheerleaders came. People stood up, flipped their cards. And what did it say? Caltech. Um, Well, some Caltech students got wind of this. (laughs) And they posed as reporters, and then over the course of a few days, they they snuck in and switched out the cards that were in storage. <laughs> so instead of spelling out like "Go Huskies," it said Caltech. <laughs> That's funny. Um, in the 1970s, at the University of Maine, uh, streaking became a huge problem. Apparently, it was originally from a Florida newspaper, and from there, it, like swept college campuses sporting events, uh, men and women, the student government 
had a big meeting to discuss the problem of shrieking and it got shrieked. <laughs> uh, the local government enacted a law opposing it. But in 2002, two shrieking women were arrested. But then when it went to court, the judge ruled it was legal for women to shriek in Maine because their genitals are on the inside. <laughs> what the hell? That, that was declared in 2002. <laughs> the shrieking law does not apply to women. Wow. Um, and then uh, in, I think this was the 70s, um, there was the Central African Republic or Centrafique which I'd never seen before. Hmm. Um, there was this guy who'd been elected official, like elected president for 11 years. And at one point just decided, you know what? I'm going to crown myself emperor. <laughs> it's a big to do. They put out this announcement, 7,000 people, diplomats from all over the world are invited. Well, this French law student named Didier Pigano, him and some of his friends make up a fake country called the kingdom of Basoche. They send a letter to the embassy saying they're, they were like outraged. They weren't invited and the embassy sent them an invitation. <laughs> so this guy Didier and his girlfriend at the time made their way to central Africa and went to the coronation of this emperor as the king and queen of Basosh. <laughs> And there's a picture of this like very white guy in this like incredibly regal outfit that like clearly is a costume, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god, I gotta look this up. <laughs> uh, that this actually occurred. Um, so yeah, those are just some of the best college pranks that I could find, uh, and the most interesting. I love it. Well, I think that comes over to you for some radical recommends. That's right. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. All right, for my recommendation this time around, I'm going with a very popular movie that's on Netflix called The Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. And for those who saw Knives Out, uh, or Knives Out, it was a fantastic murder mystery with a new character, kind of a new creation. I got the Christie style thing, but in modern times with uh, Daniel Craig as a Southern gentleman who solves mysteries. And this one has a all new all-star cast with only Daniel Craig coming back. And it's just a, a very fun romp. Did you see this, Steve? Uh, I have not. I've heard good things, but I have not. Yes. It, it's a lot of fun. Uh, did you see the first one? No. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, you got two kids. I understand. Not a lot of time to be watching random movies, but if you guys do eventually a chance to watch Knives Out first, it's, I think. Yeah, Knives I mean, I'm very familiar with Paw Patrol. I'm not sure if that <laughs> helps me out here. Oh, give me a break. You get, you get a lot of time to watch real genius and weird science. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I have homework for those. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, it's, it. they're just fun murder mysteries. And I think. The first one was a little better done, but the second one was almost more fun than the first one. Um, but both worth watching because it's just a lot of not just super serious murder mystery, but really funny parts and seeing so many different actors in both these films that you've never seen act this way before. They're playing totally out of the characters they normally play. So that's what makes it so much fun. Like Edward Norton in this movie is just like 
all over the place and he's hilarious. Like it's just, you wouldn't expect it from him. Um, so definitely worth watching. Um, and it's a little bit long. So Jolie and I had to watch it over two sittings cause we're just like, we had to go to bed and then watch it the next night. Cause we get like an hour and a half each night to watch something. That's about it. Um, Anyways, but an honorable mention I have is if you have anyone that's seen the Girl Scouts in, here in America and the States and they're selling cookies, they have a new cookie out in the market called Adventurefuls, and they are freaking delicious. I don't like sweets very much, but these were one of the best Girl Scout cookies I've had. So look them up, folks. And what's the deal with an Adventurefuls? Oh, I got to look it up it's now. An indulgent brownie inspired cookie yes. topped with caramel flavored creme and a hint of sea salt. That does mm-hmm. sound delicious. That's why I like it so much, too, because sea salt makes it not as sweet because I'm not a big sweets guy. And Jolie w- went crazy because she has middle school. She teaches middle school, and like she has so many girls that are vying for her to buy their Girl Scout cookies. So she got like five boxes of Girl Scout cookies. So she tried out the new one, Adventure Folds, and was like, oh, my God, this is actually really good. So anyways, a little honorable mention I'm there. A, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a tagalongs, man. Tagalongs are good. Yeah. I like uh, all of them, the samosas, the, uh, the Thin Mints. The peanut butter, whatever the hells they are, they're all good, but only in moderation because I don't like much sweet stuff. I just can't do it. That's fair. That's you know fair. Yeah. So I think we're just some uh, some trailer review. Trailer review. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. It's me. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna leave that in. This episode's. This episode's backwards for me. Like this whole time I've been off. (laughs) Because I'm like, oh, it's an even one. That's German. Uh, So I chose the final trailer for Shazam 2. Shazam. Shazam. Um, I enjoyed the first one. I thought it was a fresh take. And at a time when the DCU was just nothing but dark, it was such a nice break from that. Um. This one looks like it's in that same vein, lighthearted, comedy-driven. Uh, what's his name? Zachary Levi? Yeah. Is his name? Uh, in the lead, kind of playing that lighter, lighthearted Superman kind of character. Um, but, like, I don't know if this is me or my lack of knowledge of the, the DC universe, but, like, I don't understand why the gods are there. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what role they're supposed to play. I wish they just picked like a classic villain for like us dummies who don't know the DC universe that well. <laughs> right. Um, but instead they picked like the gods and Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu for some reason. <laughs> it seems all over the place, this trailer. And I don't uh, Judy Dench. Which one's that? Judy Dench is the much older one, but she's still around too, doing stuff. She played. M okay, it's Helen Mirren. Yeah, it. Helen Mirren's the hot one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Helen Mirren's in there. Lucy Liu. I just don't. I don't get it. It seems like a problem of a lot of sequels. There's too much going on, and what the hell? Who are all these people? Also, if the gods are destroying Earth. Where is Superman, Batman, Aquaman, Black Adam now, Wonder Woman? Where are they? Like, what is going on? Like, how are they going to explain that away? I'm how, very curious. How do they just vaguely explain it? Like they did with the Eternals? Yeah. That was my favorite part of the Eternals. Where the hell were you guys when Thanos was 
was wrecking the earth. We made a promise. We made a promise not to get involved. It's like, what the shit? Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's just, it really, they should, they, they couldn't apparently get synergy with black Adam because, which is ridiculous because black Adam is completely related to Shazam in every way, shape and form. Um, he got his powers from the same person that Shazam got his powers from the, um, he's actually in this movie. Um, and it's just like, they couldn't, because apparently um, behind the scenes stuff is that Dwayne Rock Johnson was just so thick headed about being the main star and being the new life of the DC universe before Sean or James Gunn was involved um, that he only wanted to be against Superman. And he didn't want anything to do with Shazam, but it's like in the comics, they're completely linked. And so it would have made sense for this for black Adam to come out and then Shazam Two to be about him versus black Adam. That would make total sense. Instead, now we have this nonsense with these random gods coming in. It won't make sense that no one else is helping coming to help. Black Adam's not even in the movie. Neither is Superman. It just seems very out of place and goes to show the end dying breaths of this original DCU that was not coordinated at all. Makes no sense. And also doesn't help that Zachary Levi stuff has come out recently about him being possibly an anti-vaxxer. Um, he's been on the Joe Rogan show saying he's super into Jordan Peterson, which is this very problematic transphobic guy who's speaking a lot. And so we already knew that Zachary Levi was super Christian, but now he's getting worse with all the stuff he's saying. So it's just like, uh, this movie, I don't have much hope for it <laughs> to be honest. I love the first one. Like you said, I liked it, but yeah, like there's way too much of a dragon in this trailer. Mm-hmm. It's like the, a third of the entire trailer are shots of this dragon. And he calls her Khaleesi, the one who's like controlling the dragon or whatever. Yeah, like clearly Helen Mirren's character is killed off because there's a point in the trailer where you just don't see her anymore and then it's all Lucy Liu. (laughs) That's very possible, yeah. So I can tell you right now, like, they're there to avenge, but then Zachary Levi's character convinces Helen Mirren not to destroy the earth or whatever. And she goes and Lucy's Lou's like, no, we have to. And she fucking kills Helen Mirren. Guarantee it right now. <laughs> You're probably right. Seeing any of the film. Spoilers. You, that's I, I can tell you right now. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> I bet you're right. Not because I'm a genius. It's because of lazy script writing and a poorly constructed trailer. That's the thing. I think they took a, a very original fun first film and this one's not going to be anything like that it's going to try to be silly and fun but it'll feel really forced and this trailer did not look good to me at all and yeah so i'm going to give this one one raul julia sitting on the couch and the trailer for this just finished and he just kind of goes yeah yeah (laughs) and then gary Busey's on the couch next to him and goes huh and raul goes i said "Uh, yeah Oh, these roommates are wonderful. That's what I I give this. So I have the two of them sitting on the couch and they both watch this trailer and Gary Busey just lets out a giant fart and goes, (laughs) and Raul Julia says, you know, you're right. (laughs) That checks out (laughs) because this movie looks like one big fart from Gary Busey. (laughs) (laughs) It's a wet one. <laughs> I think I sharded my pants. That's right. Oh, boy. Well, I bring this to the end of episode 166 of A Play on Nerds. What are we talking about next time, Steve? 
Well, next time in honor of Shazam 2, which we just packed back. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> we are going to be watching another predecessor film about kids lightheartedly learning to use their superpowers. And that's the Kurt Russell classic, Sky High. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a good Which old time. I've been looking for an excuse for us to review for years, and it finally happened, people. <laughs> uh, but you come on back for that and be and be our nerdy audience. We'll be back for that and be your nerdy co-hosts. Thanks again, Ernest. Stay nerdy, my friends. Thanks for listening to A Play on Nerds. Feel free to email feedback at aplayonnerds.com with all your questions or comments. Shoot us a message on Facebook or Twitter and earn yourself a sweet shout out on the show. Review us on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts so even more nerds can find us. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, we aren't picky. Check out our entire back catalog and other offerings at aplayonnerds.com. And how? How?